Well, good morning. It's a joy to see most of your faces this morning. It's a joy to see the rest of you occupying a pew, for sure. You knew who I was talking to. So happy to be here with you this morning. I'm so thankful that, yet again, the Lord has been so gracious to give us another opportunity to meet together with His saints. It is only an act of God and a, and a means of grace from Him that He continues to give us that opportunity, that He continues to give us that joy. And uh, I have been reminded of that over and over again uh, during uh, last Corona season, uh, just how thankful I am that uh, the Lord allows me to be with a church that I love, and also He allows Christian fellowship to be like a joyful and fun thing too. Um, I think mostly because of the Spirit of God that lives within us that's changing us to look more like Jesus. And naturally, if we're looking more like Jesus, we look more like each other. Uh, And so people who don't have otherwise anything in common grow to love each other and are of a similar mind and a similar spirit. I'm so thankful for you. Um, Whereas uh, during difficult times, our church could have gone in different directions and uh, we could have not been where we are now. Uh, I'm thankful that the Lord has persevered and has helped us persevere uh, in our church. And I'm sure he will for years to come. As a matter of fact, I would say that in in spite of all that we've been through as a church, we've thrived pretty well. Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 10. Salvation is the Lord's. I'm going to look at verses 9 and 10 today. And then we'll look at 11 through 13 next week and probably with a uh, re-examination a little bit of 9 and 10 next week also. But we are going to move in, move along on, in Romans and just continue trudging along. We've moved from um, the we've moved from this thought in Romans, the first part of Romans 10 of a faith that does not stand, a faith that does not last, a, a righteousness that is based on something else other than a Lord, other than the Lord, a faith that is not founded on the Spirit of God, on the Word of God. Last week we looked at the, t- the last two points of the failure of unbelief. Specifically uh, at an incomplete righteousness. The Jewish people and anyone who works towards formalism or for legalism has an incomplete righteousness. It's a righteousness that says if I do more, if I can just do more, if I can just be more, if I can just position myself into this place a little bit better, then maybe I'll be accepted by God. Maybe He'll count me as righteousness, righteous. But the Bible, the Gospels say that it's impossible to do enough, it's impossible to be enough, and that whether or not we are seen as righteous is going to be determined by Christ's righteousness in us alone. Any sort of other form or legalism is an incomplete righteousness. But we also talked about a faith that does not speak. An incomplete righteousness and a faith that does not speak. A faith that does not speak is a faith that must have supernatural, out-of-this-world things happen, emotional experiences, things like that even, 
happen on a regular basis for that faith to be, to be appeased. Um, people who are always demanding a sign or demanding proof. The last verse we read last week should be monumental in our way of thinking, and it really also introduces what we're going to talk about today. Verse 8 of Romans 10 says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Paul in Deuteronomy, if you weren't here, and just as a reminder, he was pointing back to Moses' farewell charge in Deuteronomy. Remember what Moses represented last week? I can only think of uh, making water come from a rock and parting of the Red Sea, but there were also plagues that were performed through Moses and Aaron and things like that. But Mo- this is what Moses is known as. Moses is known as the guy who brought the plagues. You know, he's known as the guy who had the, brought the fire and the cloud, the fire, the cloud by day and the fire by night. He, he brought the water from the rock. He parted the Red Sea. And that's just a few, but this is what Moses is known as. The Lord had performed miracles through Moses. He was a symbol for Israel of strength and security. He was a symbol of tangible. Moses himself might be a symbol more than anything of, um, of our, even our own works. He was a symbol of something that was tangible, something that they could touch and something they could feel. And his, the end of his life was coming to a near. And what did Moses say to them? You know, when they were looking for an answer, like, who's going to come like you, Moses? Who, what, what signs are we going to see that the next leader is here? Moses said, you don't have to go to the heavens. And you don't have to go to the grave. What you have is right. What you have and what you need is right here. It's right in front of you. The word is near to you. Don't seek another Moses. Don't seek another person to fill my place. We know that Moses had um, successors. Don't seek another person like me. What you need is right here. Moses was certain that the person of faith has everything that they need to live a life of faith to the glory of God the Father. So there was this Failure and unbelief that led to these points that we've talked about over the last two weeks. But there is this transition here, I think, in Romans 10 to what belief really looks like. The word is near to you. Romans chapter 10, 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Pray with me this morning. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the prayer of our heart be holy unto you. May the actions of our lives, may the produce of our lives, Lord, be an offering unto you. May we be a living sacrifice. May we, under, may we count the cost of following you in faith. May we count the cost of what lordship salvation actually is and what it looks like. May we trust you that if you're going to give us the command to go, you're going to give us the strength and the power and the resources to finish the task at hand. Lord, may we grow in you every day, be more like you to the glory of the Father.
It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The first thing I want you to see today that we find in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 is a lordship confession. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. One of the easiest things I think for a Christian that a Christian should be able to accept is the lordship of Jesus Christ and therefore a lordship salvation. Jesus accepted this truth as it was proclaimed about him by others. It was stated by Jesus prominently in the New Testament. Lord is used some 500 to 700 times. In Acts, he is called Savior two times. He is called Lord 92 times. In Romans, Paul uses the word kurios, Lord, 44 times. 30 times he's referring to Jesus, six times he's referring to the Father, and six times he's referring to either. Also, knowing that the Father is Lord, Jesus said as his own personal confession, I and the Father are one. He said, if you knew him, you would know me. And the New Testament over and over and over again proclaims Jesus as Lord. The idea of lordship salvation should be an easy concept if you are a student of the Bible in any way. But there's a group of people who deny this. There has been a thought throughout history that has prevailed, but most recently it's seen from Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, still recently is probably 30 or 40 years ago that this, or longer that this began, began prevailing. This idea that there is such a thing as a carnal Christian and a spiritual Christian. That there are two separate classes of Christians. These theologians propose two things. That someone who has faith but not works is a carnal Christian and not just an unbeliever. And therefore they are redeemed like any other. And that if works were involved in salvation in any way in the salvation story, that it wouldn't truly be about faith. Now there are several problems to this way of thinking. This idea that there is a carnal Christian and a spiritual Christian. This idea that works aren't involved uh, in salvation. And, and I will, for those of you who don't, haven't been around me much, I'll make that very clear what I mean by that. Uh, I still believe in Ephesians 2, you know, that it's by grace through faith, not of yourself, it is a gift of God. But I'll explain that throughout this sermon. But there are a few problems to this way of thinking that there is no such thing as lordship salvation. The first is, it isn't biblical. Uh, we have, when we look at what the scriptures say, we see that lordship salvation is everywhere in the Bible. That it is found in direct quotes, direct words, but it's also found in indirect words. Like when we see that if anyone is in Christ, and I'll mention this again, he is a new creation. A new creation is regeneration. It implies a change of behavior, a change of life brought on by the Holy Spirit's pricking of our heart and indwelling in us. Another major problem, other than it isn't biblical, is that faith dies without works. But when works are present, even the slightest faith is recruit, recouped. Faith or um, a belief 
will die without works. And what I mean is not saving faith, but there are people who have faith in Jesus. They, they see that Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus is a God. And then they don't follow it by a life of commitment. And that faith, what we find out was, is not saving faith. It was not saving faith because saving faith produces this, is because, as a result of the Spirit of God in you, which always produces obedience. It doesn't produce a perfect life, but it produces obedience. Faith dies without works. But not only this, for Christians... The stronger our commitment to genuine Holy Spirit-inspired biblical works are in our life, the stronger our faith is. The stronger our faith is. is because as we are being committed to, to step out, to say things, to do things, to be a part of things that are biblical, that are by nature uh, anti-worldly, it will stretch us, it will challenge us to put more and more of our trust and hope in Jesus Christ. Listen, friends, if our works promote more selfishness, if our works promote more self-reflection um, and desire, then they do a God-reflection and a God-desire. There's something wrong with the way we're doing things. Faith, But faith dies without works. Pastor James Boyce pointed out uh, some other problems with this way of thinking. Faith, if there is no lordship, is just a mere intellectual assent. It's just a mere thought. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Cool, cool. Like how far is that getting you, right? Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. That's just a mere intellectual assent, if not followed by how that changes me. It only asserts, another problem James Boyce pointed out, is it only asserts a change of mind as it concerns Jesus and not sin. I was a non-Christian. I didn't love Jesus before. I didn't follow Jesus. Okay, I believe Jesus is God. Sure, He's a, he's a good thing. So I've changed my mind about Jesus. If there is no transfer in my life of the way I was to being a new creation... I've only changed my mind about Jesus. I haven't changed my mind about sin. And repentance is necessary for faith to be proven. Repentance is a change of mind about sin that leads to definitive action. This way of thinking also divorces salvation from discipleship. One of the last commands that Jesus gave was not go out and make people believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples. When we say that you must believe in Jesus, but, you don't, but it doesn't, there no, nothing in your life has to represent that, and you can just be called a carnal, carnal Christian, what we're saying is, is that discipleship is, not discipleship is only stipulatory. It's only necessary for this person and not this person. The fourth that point, James Boyce points out is, there is no place for regeneration. If you can be a carnal Christian, if you can live a life like you want to, if you can do anything you want to do, if you can live like the world, if you cannot obey the Bible, then what is the point of being of the Bible telling us that we're a new creation? What's the point of the Bible leading us to be different? What's the point of any Christian being motivated to change at all? Paul in Romans 10, 9 is asserting a lordship 
confession. That Christianity can't just be a mere knowledge. It can't just be a mere proclamation of your mouth. But it has to be much, much more. A lordship confession. That if we confess you with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. We must confess with our mouth. For sure. What is that that we confess? That Jesus is in my heart? No. That I walk down an aisle at a church? No. Paul says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now these words, the word kurios is actually not used here, but it is heavily implied. So either way it works. Confess with your mouth, Jesus. And then the, the whole context of the New Testament says, He is Lord. He is what Moses and Paul and countless others have proven to be near and dear to us. Paul today in Romans 10 answers the question, is there such a thing as a secret, secret disciple, with, as a carnal disciple, with the resounding no? So what does confession look like? It is a public profession. It is baptism. It is the communion table. Baptism is the locking of our sins, of our, our past life in a jail cell, walking away from it and trashing the key. One theologian said baptism is, is like this. Baptism is the, is the warrior who goes to war, he unsheaths his sword, and he leaves his scabbard behind. Because he knows that it will never be put up again after you rise out of those baptismal waters. It is a fight for your life. It is a fight for the life of others. But it's more than just baptism and communion, right? It's more than just walking an aisle. It's more than just making a profession on a video or at a youth camp. In, a, in what ways, in what other ways is our confession seen? I think that there are some that are vastly important and I didn't put all of them on here, but you need to know them and understand them. Our confession seen, is seen in our willingness and our desire to be with God's people. John said, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. Do not be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. The key to that passage that John was saying is, is that we should love one another. As a matter of fact, he later asserts that the world will know that Jesus is Christ by our love for one another. And I will say that a lordship salvation produces this phileo that turns into agape that causes the desires of the Christian heart to bend toward, to lean into the church of God. Believers. The local body of believers. Genuine and general Christian fellowship. The more we grow in Christ, the more our commonality should grow with other believers. Our increasing faith then will naturally polarize us from the system that the world follows. And therefore, unbelievers will naturally be polarized by or away from our 
believes. Again, I'm only saying this with a mirror in front of our, our face. They are polarized by us, not because we're jerks, but because we have life. We have light and there is no darkness that can be found in light. Friends, the Spirit of God in us, right? The Spirit of God that is changing us, a life that is committed to lordship salvation, only it's only naturally draws believers together. So when you hear a pastor say, you need to be involved in church, you need to be a part of the fellowship of believers, it's, he's not saying it as just another command or another thing to do. He's saying it because he's saying if the desire is not there, then you need to check your heart to see if Christ resides in it. Or if you've at least submitted to His Lordship. So we confess by our willingness and our desire to be with and apart and around God's people in general, but I think especially through the local church. We confess in our personal pursuits, like running a business or working for someone. Christians should be the most honest owners of businesses and the most reliable workers. Now, I know that we don't, we don't always go in with the same energy every day. Some days, months, weeks are worse than others. But we should be the ones with the best, in, in general, the best work ethic and the, and the best integrity. And that is a confession of our faith. Amen. We should put the hours in that we say we're going to put in. We should not take any more minutes or hours that don't belong to us. And our bosses should look at us as, and, and the only justification they can find for us being the way that we are is because we are a new creation in Christ and Jesus is our Lord and He commands that we operate in that way. I ask myself all the time when faced with these, with these dilemmas, will my integrity be in question with the decision that I'm about to make? And is my integrity worth blank? Is my integrity worth an extra stroke on my golf score? Is it worth $5? Is it worth that change that was accidentally given to me by the cashier? Or that free item that they didn't scan? Is it worth the extra 30 minutes that I took at work? How we handle our personal endeavors on a business front is one of the key indicators because there is a ton of pressure for you to do something other than what the Lord expects. When we do what the Lord expects, we not only prove that He is Lord of our life, but that He is Lord of all. When we are tempted, we confess that Jesus is Lord. I, I don't know of many better confessions of our faith than the overcoming of a temptation in our lives through the Spirit of God. And what I mean by that is not just an overcoming once. Now, we look at our lives and we face constant temptation. And some of us have faced this temptation or will face it all throughout our lives. And we look at our lives and we say, we are the worst. But I want to, I want, today, I want you to look at it a little bit differently. If you continue to press on towards the Lord as Lord and you continue to fight that temptation. And, you're, and you begin to get to a point where you're giving in less than you are winning. You need to look at that as a win. 
Even if that temptation never goes away, how we fight that temptation is more indicative of whether Jesus is Lord of our life than whether the temptation is in our life at all. It's how we fight that temptation. It's the effort that we put in. Not how many times we fall. Believing, though, friends, and there are a ton of Christians who live in defeat, believing and then acting then as if your temptations are stronger than you, are greater than you, says a ton about us. It says either we have not accepted that Jesus is greater than anything that we could face, or He is not Lord of our life at all. When we are tempted, there is never a better confession, or there is, it's on par with all the good confessions of our faith. Because it's saying that whatever I am overcoming through the Spirit's power is greater, or the Lord is greater than whatever I am overcoming through the Spirit's power. Through trials, divorce, financial loss, sickness, And even through our own death someday and the death of those that we love. How we respond in faith or the lack thereof is a confession of our life. I've pointed this out countless times now. But those people who have suffered great loss and have persevered in faith and have been a shining testimony of faith. Like those are the people I want to be like. When it comes to me, those are the people I want to be like. I don't want to be like the people who look And all the loss around them. And say where is God? I want to be like the people who look at all the loss around them. And look at their feet and where they're standing. And say I'm here because God is. Through trials. Often trials are brought on by others. So we have to ask ourselves, and I've given this advice countless times, but I want to give it to you today. When trials are brought on by others, we we can say this, when a person wrongs you, what they have done to you speaks only to their character, but it is how you respond that speaks to yours. How we handle trials, especially those brought on by others, is a confession of our faith. How we're handling trials, how we're handling temptation. Is it confessing that Jesus is Lord of our lives? Last, and I think the most important confession of our faith. Because after all, they are little arrows in our quiver of faith. Our children. Now we cannot be responsible for every action our children take. My dad is not going to take account for all the dumb things I've done in life. But I am, but I am an example. I am an example of their lordship belief. I am an example of their lordship. Your children on some level are going to be an example of your lordship belief. When they repeat something or do something that you don't like, it isn't because they just picked that up on their own. They didn't just make that up out of their mind. They see it in us. They do it in us. Now, Ellie and Bennett weren't that way super badly, but Emmeline and Millie have been. So it's been a very sanctifying thing for me 
Most of the time, we don't even have to say, where did they get that from? We're not responsible for every action our children take, but they will be little confessions who will grow up to big confessions. And as they grow, friends, although they are responsible and keep account for themselves, as they grow, uh, the more glaring the truth of that confession is seen. Is there such a thing as a carnal Christian? I don't think the Bible says that there is. Is there such a thing as a secret faith? I don't think that the Bible says that there is. What I think the Bible indicates to us is that we're all on a different level of growth. You aren't where I am and I'm not where you are. And there's about a million people in between. Or there's millions of people in between. In our church, our goal then shouldn't be to be like me or to be like each other. But it should be to receive Jesus as Lord and try to be like Him and like He commands of us. We're all on different rungs, different levels, different rungs of a ladder, different stages. We all, as Jesus becomes more prevalently the Lord of our lives, should just grow at the pace that He has set for us. Sometimes that will be rapidly. Sometimes that will be slowly. Sometimes it will feel like it's a standstill. But the whole idea, the whole thought behind regeneration is this, and we need to ask ourselves this. Is my life ever increasingly bending and moving towards the life that Lordship salvation requires? The life of Jesus. Not perfection. Not perfection. But a confession that Jesus is Lord. But it can only be coupled with belief that leads to the confession being true. Heart action. There's two things that I think that Paul is pointing out with the heart here that I want you to see. And the first is that heart connection implies sincerity. The heart leads to action which proves that we are keeping the commands of the Shema. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your strength. Wholeheartedly obeying the commands of God. Wholehearted fellowship with believers. Wholehearted pursuit of truth. Wholehearted pursuit of the unbeliever. Wholehearted pursuit of those fallen away. Wholeheartedness shows the sincerity of our confession. Friends, does this wholehearted pursuit speak to what is happening in your life right now? I believe there are countless people with the right intent, but with heart, they're lacking heart-led action. And I am confident of this, that heart-led action that proves our confession is the surest sign of sincerity in our lives. It's also by the Spirit, right? We know that there is a heart connection that's necessary and it shows the sincerity, sincerity of our confession, but a key tenet of regeneration of that new life is that we must be born again. And the Bible goes on to say that we will be born of the Spirit. 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation and the old has passed away. This is what regeneration means. A new life born of and in the Holy Spirit. And one of the goals, friends, is to make the Spirit, make our lives like Christ to the glory of the Father. We know Lordship salvation is true because true faith goes past confession. Now, it is not, works are not a requirement to be saved then, but we know they are a result of a genuine spirit life change. Now, that's where I can believe in Ephesians 2 and also say works are important and believe what James says. Because works are not a requirement for salvation, but they ultimately are because they prove that Christ is in you. It is an eternal commitment that displays in eternal, it is an internal commitment, excuse me, that displays in eternal ways. And is motivated by these thoughts. Christ came to live on this earth as man. He lived a perfect life. He was charged with crimes and sins that he did not commit or do. He died for those charges. But ultimately he died in that way for my sin and to take on the wrath that I deserve. And he has saved me subsequently by a work of his own and not mine. It's an internal commitment that is brought on by these thoughts and has eternal Results. So we need to examine our life at this point. What does the confession of our mouth and our heart. What does it what is the production of that say about us? What does what that confession and our heart action produce? And what does that say about us? If our hearts speak through our bank account. What does it say about what we believe about lordship salvation? If our hearts speak through our time. If our largest confession is made by how we spend our time. What does that say about our lordship confession? I am highly convicted. Highly convicted. When Apple sends me and it happens to be on Sunday morning. Who knew the Lord could the Holy Spirit could convict me through Apple? I'm highly convicted when on Sunday morning I get my, this is how much time you spent on the phone this week. And I can look at it and I can say, well, so many hours of this, excuse me, not this week, daily on average this week. And I can look at my phone and I can say, well, so many hours of this are are work. To which I could also say, those hours are a testimony of the confession of the Lordship in my life also. Who knew that conviction could come about that way? What does the confession of our commitment to our church say? What does our browser history say about our views of lordship salvation? This is important to understand. What does the generic content that we take in say? Ephesians says, whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, if it's notable and of praise, what does it say? Think on these. 
So even if it's not sinful content that we ingest, what does the sheer amount of content that we ingest say about our view of the Lordship, salvation of Jesus Christ? I will tell you one that's more scary, and it's hard, and it takes some self-realization, and it takes other people to realize it. What does what we're not bothered by anymore say about the Lordship of Jesus Christ? It takes conviction of someone from someone that you might call a legalist by saying, no, I'm not going to watch that. And you like, you're like, man, I would have just wholeheartedly watched that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. It takes that type of conviction to realize the things that we accept today that we might not have accepted yesterday. The beauty of Jesus as Lord, the beauty and the answer come in Romans 10, 13. The beauty is that it's not too late. That whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How do you do that? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It isn't too late to make changes, friends. Listen, the Holy Spirit works in the moments more than He does the moment. The Holy Spirit works in incremental change more than He does drastic, big, dynamic change. Most of us want to like have a service, like have a music set or a sermon that we can point to that was the, the sort of nuclear change in our life. Most of us want to have signs. Most of us want to have something objective that we can hold on to. And I think the Lord's over here working in the moments that I choose today to not look at this. Or I choose today to give this time to this instead of to this. Or I choose today that instead of you know, being upset about the way the house looks when I get home, to be a part of the solution and not just uh, an observer to the problem. These are all moments of change. Incremental Moments in our lives that the Holy Spirit's willing to work. And I promise you, friends, the people who have been most successful at surrendering to Jesus as Lord <coughs> are the people who most often see their lives about moments as opposed to waiting for this dynamic nuclear change in their life. Don't step over a spiritual dollar to make a spiritual dime. Work in the moments that you have right now instead of chasing after moments that could be. And He will change us. He will change us step by step, day by day. He will change us in these incremental moments. There are eternal conflicts, right? There are eternal results. 
If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to tell you, just in case you haven't understood, if you must be saved from something, there is a negative to, what that, to that which you're being saved from. Right? A lot of us tend to look at that verse and saying, we are saved and don't even consider what we're saved from. There are eternal consequences to our view and our understanding and our pursuit of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will believe in your heart, God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from the wrath that He took on that belongs to you. That will be on you in full if you die without Him. We can do it. We must do it. Because the Spirit of God lives within us and He says that Lordship salvation is the way that the believer lives when I'm with Him. Pray with me. God, You are so wonderful. We are so thankful that You are not only our Savior, but most importantly, You are the Lord of our life. Lord, as Lord, You're not just a, a, a deity that gives us rules and standards and regulations to follow. You are the vine, the source of our sustenance, the source of our well-being. You have left us, as John says, a helper in the Spirit of God who is working out our salvation in us in vibrant and real And I believe mostly incremental ways. Thank you for not leaving us. Thank you for not saying you must believe in me and you must follow these rules. Thank you for not just leaving it at that. But saying, believe, confess. And I'm here to do the rest. Thank you, Lord, for doing the work of salvation in us.